0: Welcome to the Multifamily Mavericks Podcast, hosted by Josiah Smelser and Megan Greathouse. This is your one-stop shop for building and growing your multifamily business. Join us on a weekly basis as we crack the code to multifamily investing and scale up to financial freedom. And now your hosts, Josiah and Megan. What's up, folks? Thanks for joining the podcast again today. Today, we've got one of my very favorite people in the real estate investing circles, my good friend, Brian Murray. Brian has acted as a mentor to me over the last few years. He's very well known in the real estate investing circles that I run in. Um, He's got a wealth of experience. He's created a large portfolio value over his short amount of years, in my opinion, investing in real estate. And He's got the heart of a teacher. He's going to share his story um, about how he got going and built his portfolio. Um, he's also authored some very successful, a very successful book, and he's working on another book that's going to be very successful. And he's going to tell you about um the current mobile home park portfolio that he is building with Brandon Turner. Uh, you guys know him from Bigger Pockets. Um, and uh Brian's just got a lot to offer. Um Brian's going to talk about how he bootstrapped his way through this whole thing. Um, What I love about what Brian did is he had a job as a teacher. He started his real estate investing map and journey by buying properties creatively and then reinvesting profits. And this is a strategy that anyone can use. But most people won't, because it's not easy, right? it's It takes rolling up your sleeves, looking deeply into you know potential deals and figuring them out. Um, you know, working on that Rubik's cube until you get it right. And that's what Brian has done. That tenacity and that willingness to keep trying and not quitting is a commonality that I see with a lot of successful investors that I've had on the show and that I read about and um, the limited amount of success I've had in my own investing experience, I view that as a very high correlation to success. Just being willing to keep trying, showing up, not quitting, just keep after it, keep after it and be creative. Um, And Brian has done that. So uh, I know you're really going to enjoy this episode. I certainly did. Um, it's fun to have a friend on the podcast. It's also very successful. And, um, I really do appreciate Brian, you coming on the show and look forward to sharing this with our audience without further ado, ladies and gents, Brian Murray. Before we get started, let's take this opportunity to get connected. You can find me on Instagram at daily real estate investor. You can find Megan on Instagram at part-time empire and our show on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks. We're also both on LinkedIn. And if you're a multifamily investor, a multifamily syndicator, a mom and pop owner, want to partner with us on a deal, or even have a deal you want to sell, get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. Shoot us a message through Instagram or LinkedIn, and let's get to know each other. Folks, I'm excited to be back for another episode of the podcast with one of my favorite investors, and a good friend of mine, Brian Murray. Brian, welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Uh, I'm super excited to be here. It's good to see you, Josiah.
0: Yeah, it's always always a pleasure. Uh, Brian and I have, have gotten to know each other over the last few years. We met each other at the Real Estate Mastermind that Brandon Turner put on in Hawaii. And uh, one of the best things that came out of that was getting to know Brian. Brian, Brian has, has mentored me in many ways, and we're trying to get a multifamily deal uh, that we both uh, work on together. We've looked at a lot of them. I uh, haven't gotten one to, to, to close yet, but it'll happen eventually. So Brian is, uh, is very well known in the real estate investing circles that I run in. And he's written a very successful book and he's got another one on the way. So I'm really excited to uh, cover that as well. So um, yeah, first, let's talk about the book that you already wrote that people need to have already read. And if they haven't, they need to go get it which is crushing it in apartments and commercial real estate. This is a, a great book. I really enjoyed this, Brian. I actually got it. I got a copy right here. We're not recording the video, but I've got your copy that you mailed me that's signed that I'm going to keep. And I've also got the audio book. So I listened to the audio book uh, on road trips and stuff and I've read through this as well, but it's been a really great book. Uh, and thanks for sending me a, a signed copy. I'm going to be keeping that. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So let's let's real quick for for the for people who haven't read this before we dive into your story, let's talk about this book and how it can help people that are aspiring to get into real estate investing.
1: Yeah, so you know as as I uh, grew my portfolio and and um, got some recognition and and I found that people were reaching out to me a lot um, asking for help, asking for mentoring and. You know it was really hard i I'm, I'm a teacher at heart and i love to help people and and i really wanted to do that but you know there's only so many hours in the day and um you know I, I i tried to think of how could i how could i share everything that i've learned with as many people as possible and try to help them do what i've done or help them along the way and so what i came up with was you know carve out the time to, to put a book together and so that that was my goal you know it's just try to share Everything I'd learned, uh, all the mistakes I made, and, and hopefully that would avoid other people, like you know, help other people avoid those mistakes and uh, um, benefit from some of the things that it, it took me years to learn. And and uh, so I, you know, I put that in this book and put it out there, and and I was, you know, it was super rewarding to see that uh, you know people people actually bought it and and uh, talked about it and shared it, and and so it's it's sold quite a few copies now, and and I'm. I'm you know, so grateful for that.
0: This is an excellent book. Again, the title is "Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate." Um, I would highly recommend you you get a copy if you haven't already read this. Um, so now let's let's dive into your story, Brian. Um, tell us where you're from, uh, how you got into the whole real estate investing game, and and what you know what your strategy has been. And you know, I guess tell us about your portfolio and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, so right now I'm in Alfred, Georgia, um, but I recently recently moved here. When I when I started my real estate investing, I was in upstate New York, um, a, a fairly rural area north of Syracuse, and um, you know I I, uh, I was teaching at the time. I, I had I had a corporate job that I had switched over to teaching, and and my salary really fell, and uh, I was having trouble making ends meet, and I, I was trying to figure out a way to like make some more money and and real estate had always been fascinating to me and I I just started reading books and trying to figure out hey what can I do to supplement my income and uh, you know try to make a little more than, than what I'm bringing in on a teacher's salary
0: sure
1: so I started looking at smaller properties and you know I got got a little discouraged because I wasn't really seeing the kind of returns and you know that I had hoped for and and I gradually started looking at Bigger and bigger properties, and I actually ended up uh, settling on an office building uh, as my as my first property. It was a property that was in some distress, but the more I looked at it, the more I realized that I thought, you know, hey, this is the things that were wrong with this property, are things I think I can turn around and uh, that I could manage even without you know any experience at that point. And uh, I also was able to. Uh, assume the seller's mortgage. <clears throat> so that was that was something that, you know, I, I got pretty creative with my with my financing both on that property and and, and later properties because I, I didn't have a whole lot of money at that time. And uh so it's really trying to figure out ways to, you know, that the second the second property that that I bought was um was a retail property and uh that that was seller financed. So, you know, I assumed a mortgage on the first one, seller financing on the second one. And I kept getting creative and, and figuring out ways to close deals. Um, and I didn't actually get into multifamily until I was a few years in, uh, even though that's where I'm, I'm fully focused on today.
0: Good deal. So, I mean, there's several things here that I think are very interesting um, for a lot of people that listen to the show. The first thing is that when you started, you started in commercial. Um, what, you know, and I, you cover this in your book, but what led you to make that decision instead of, did you own your own house at the time? Had you done any residential investing before, or did you just start off straight in commercial?
1: Uh, very, I did own my own house, but my, you know, I very, very limited kind of, uh, uh, investing experience. I, at one point when I moved, I rented out my house after I moved. Um, you know, and I used to, I used a property manager for that. But I didn't really consider myself an investor based on, based on that. Um, well, one place that I owned, it was, it was on a pretty good sized piece of land and I, I, I subdivided it and sold off a piece of that land. Hmm. So I'd sort of dip my toe in just a little bit um, and it, cause it, real estate had always been so interesting to me. But there really wasn't any magical reason why I chose. You know, I'd I'd love to say, yeah, I did this big analysis, and you know, I ended up with a, you know, it all said to buy office. But really, I I was just kind of feeling my way around, and Mm. uh, I wanted to buy something local because I felt like I really needed to be present, and I was gonna, you know, this was too important to me to like buy something that I couldn't have access to and keep my eyes on and work on myself. Mm -hmm. And I so I just looked at every property I could find and um you know as i looked at more properties i also learned that there were you know sometimes you could you could buy larger properties than you would have otherwise realized because of things like assuming a mortgage or owner financing or things like that they're much 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 harder to find um but you know once i figured that out you know i i didn't not look at something because i thought it was too large it just kind of changed my mindset and uh when this came along you know, it had this, this office building had a full-time employee who really wasn't doing anything. And, uh, you know, there were other things that I could see that were just plain wasteful that any rational person could look at it and figure out, Hey, you know, you know, why are all the windows open? You know, why is all that heat like rolling out the windows when it's cold outside? Mm -hmm. You know what you could look around and say, Hey, nobody really cares about what's happening at this property. And I just knew I could come in and, and, uh, know, make a difference and, and make that property work.
0: Yeah. So, and you were like, what, what age were you when you did this? How long ago was this, this first property?
1: I was, uh, thir- in my late thirties.
0: Okay. So, yeah. you know, I, I just turned 40. So we're, we were of similar age here. Were you listening to any real estate podcasts at the time?
1: Was not no, no, Were you I, reading I, real I,
0: estate books or how did you, I mean, what made you decide on an office building?
1: Yeah, so I I was uh reading everything I would get my hands on. Absolutely. Um I I would do some research online, but I was buying buying every book I could find. Um there really weren't a lot of uh resources, nowhere near as many resources out there mm-hmm. back in two thousand seven this was as there are today. Um sure. and I, I had not, you know, I, I I think bigger pockets was there. You know, it was not something that I was aware of at that time. Sure. I, I didn't become aware of them until, you know, a number of you know, much, much later. Um, and actually, I'm not even sure they were out by then. That was quite. That was quite a while ago. So. Yeah,
0: I wasn't aware of them at that point either. I did my, I was doing some flips back then, and and I was, I was reading everything I could get my hands on as well. But I didn't feel like I could get my hands on a lot compared to now. You know, I certainly didn't have good podcasts to tune into and stuff. So, um, so, so you've been doing this for about 13 years now. We're, we're at 2020 started in 07. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Wow. You've made a lot of traction in, in a short amount of time. I'm, I was already impressed, but I'm very impressed. Um, okay. And you mentioned assuming the mortgage on this first one, let's talk about for those that aren't familiar with what that means. um, how did you structure that, and and what does that involve?
1: Yeah, so what happened was um, when I was negotiating with the seller, they had indicated that there was a certain price that they needed to get, and the reason they needed to get that is there was a large penalty when they when they were going to pay off their mortgage. And so, you know, what occurred to me was, hey, well, what if you know, tell, give me some details on on that mortgage because if I could actually assume it and save the seller from having to, um, incur that penalty, you know, I, my question to them was if I, if I go out there and I go through this rigorous application process, which, you know, was quite involved and was going to take an upfront investment on my time in, in money, uh, because part of the assumption process is the bank requires you to go out and, you know, I had to get a new phase one. I had to get a new, uh, you know, PCA and, 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 different third-party reports that they, they wanted to see. And I said, Hey, you know, if I'm going to save you all this money, and I, I think, I think it was going to save them around 300 to $400,000. Oh, wow. And so I said, well, you know, would you be willing to pass that along to me? Or, you know, maybe, maybe you pass 75% of that along to me and, you know, you, you keep the rest of it. And, uh, they were agreeable to that. So you know it totally changed the negotiations where the price that we had been discussing uh, immediately got dropped significantly. Hmm. And now, all of a sudden, the asking price was not that far different than the balance on the mortgage. oh, wow. And so you know I was able to go in, assume that mortgage and and close on that property. Uh, I think the final sale price was uh, eight hundred and i want to say eight hundred and thirty four thousand dollars. And, uh, you know, I got in all, all in less than a hundred thousand dollars, Wow, maybe more around 70 to $80,000, which, you know, I, it, it wasn't easy for me to pull that together. I had to drain my retirement account and, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, pretty much pull together every, you know, every penny I could, I could find, you know, but, uh, after I got done, you know, draining my accounts and scrounging in my couch cushions. I I, (laughs) I pulled it all together and I I pulled the trigger. So uh took money out of the kids'
0: college fund and Yeah. I'm not (laughs) I'm not not
1: advocating that or recommending that to anybody who's listening because uh, you know, things things could have gone south, but at the same time, even though I was in my my thirties, I knew that if I had to, I could start over. And, uh, you know, I, I went in eyes wide open, you know, I, I, maybe I didn't, maybe I wasn't fully aware of, of, uh, everything I needed to know to do this. I mean, I was new and there was was a ton of stuff I didn't know. Um, but, uh, sorry, it's my, (laughs) my dog there. Uh, but, uh, I also knew that there was risk involved and there was a chance I would lose everything. Sure. And, uh, you know, that was a risk I decided I was going to take at that time.
0: So, you know, I, I think these decisions are always very interesting to dive into um, because, you know, with high risk, there's high reward. So you're risking potentially lo- losing all of your savings. But you've got this deal that you've gotten the price lowered on significantly because you've gotten creative and you've you've looked. And I, I, I love the um in the big short, you know, they're talking about the guy who was looking at the mortgage backed securities and everybody else is just you know just looking at surface level and he he gets the mortgage back security starts digging deep into what's going on with each one of them discovers that a lot of the underlying uh, notes are are not don't have good credit right and they say the the only thing he did was he looked right and so you started digging into this deal and as you drill down you 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 figure out some things and then you get the price lower to the point where it's almost just the balance of the mortgage um and so you 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 found a really great deal because you looked, right? But then you're at this point where you're like, I could lose everything. But if I did, I could start over and be okay. Um, was your wife working at this point or did you have any other sources of income? How were you making a living at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, at, at this point, actually uh, my wife was not working. Okay. And, uh, you know, I had, I had two young kids at home and uh you know my sole source of income was my teaching job
0: okay so so you were yeah, still teaching full time at this point
1: i was okay. i was now now to be fair i mean i i made a conscious decision i gave up a, a very well-paying job you know with a with a you know six-figure income in in, in on a corporate track mm. um to go teach and uh you know that 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 cut my, cut my income by about 75% when I made that decision. Oh wow. Um, but I felt like it was the right thing to do at that time. I was really getting burned out in my corporate job and, and, uh, I, I, I enjoy teaching. Um, and it's something that I just, you know, it's was kind of a life decision that I, I committed to doing, but, you know, I did have that knowledge that, Hey, if, if, if everything, if everything kind of, Fell apart, and I needed to. I probably could get back, you know, into a into a job that I could I could earn more if I if I if I had to do it.
0: Sure. So this wasn't a this wasn't a betting the farm on something, and if if you go bust, you have no hope, right? You had you still had the ability to go out and earn a good living, even if you lost all of the money you had saved. And so you know, this is a calculated bet, and. The thing I love about real estate is you can take calculated bets where the upside outweighs the downside and you you kind of have to gather all the details, try to wrap your arms around the whole picture of what's going on and then make a calculated bet as to whether you think such and such will happen or not. And you have to also understand the downside In in this situation. You lose your equity. You know, God forbid something goes wrong with the property. The property goes back to the lender. Was this uh, recourse or non-recourse?
1: It was a full recourse. Okay.
0: So you have you have a personal liability involved, but you also are are still you still have a job teaching, and you also have this you know this opportunity in the corporate world that you passed up, where you could make even more money. So you're like, even if things go terribly wrong, I could probably dig myself out. So, uh, you know, I, I would say like, don't if you're a new investor and you, you know, don't, don't put yourself in a situation you can never recover from. It's okay to take calculated bets, but don't, don't do something that you can't, where you can't dig yourself out, which is obviously not what you did here. You, you took a calculated bet and it worked out very well. So, um, let's talk about how this deal specifically worked. I know you've had a ton of success since then, but this kind of got you in the game. It got you in the commercial game, especially how did this deal particularly work out?
1: You know it worked out really well. Um I still own that property and uh it's actually where my company headquarters are. Oh, very um, cool. So uh you know it it the building was about half full when I bought it and it's basically maintained occupancy level in the 90%, ninety 90, 90, ninety 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 five percent uh ever since. Wow. And uh you know it's probably worth you know I think I think it appraised at maybe five times what I paid for it wow. um not that long ago. So um yeah it it definitely worked out you know i i i i have now had it the, my for my full investing career and i don't really have any plans to sell it it's it's sure. a great property i've i've been you know i'm a i'm a huge value add guy so um i would redirect the profits from that building back into it and make improvements to it every year since i bought it so at this stage a lot of the infrastructure's been replaced it's got a new heating system, new roof, um, major, you know, major components have been, have been replaced and, and, uh, you know, the, the tenants have been upgraded and, and, uh, it's just a, it's just a great property. So it worked
0: out really well. I think I remember reading about this property in your book. Is this the property where there was, um, a maintenance guy on payroll that was just kind of hanging out that you had to, yeah. you had yeah. to let go and some kind of crazy heater problem or something. Am i remembering that. Yeah, correctly?
1: yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, w- the the way the financials worked out, I mean, there was somebody on payroll. Um, I can't remember exactly what he made, but it was it was a good amount. It was probably fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. And he really wasn't doing anything. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he he literally had a wood shop that he had <laughs> installed, and he would do woodwork, um, on company time amazing and, you know, at the same time the 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 yard around the property was just littered with trash no one had touched the landscaping in years and it was it was just a mess so when i looked at the financials and it was actually in the red um but it wasn't in the red that much mm. um i knew that on day 1 if i let him go that um it would be cash flow positive and and mm. so that's what i did and i became the new maintenance guy yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember reading that about you out there sweeping the trash up and yeah. that that to me um that willingness to do whatever has to be done to get the deal to work is is one of the qualities that I see in a lot of successful investors you know you recognize this opportunity you had to let this guy go and then you're as the owner of an asset that's probably when you bought it worth over a million bucks you're out there sweeping the trash up trying to get everything done to get this thing where it needs to be and get it repositioned. And so I know a lot of people listening to this are like, Whoa, but I can't find a deal like this. Right. But we know that's not true. They're out there. Um, you know, how, what advice would you give to someone that's trying to get started that wants to find a deal like this, that, you know, is looking and not able to find something is spinning their wheels, I guess.
1: Well, first of all, you know, I, I, I closed on that property um, about a full year after I started looking at properties. Yeah. So I took every spare moment that I had to be looking at properties, analyzing properties, visiting properties um, for a year. And so in, in many people that you know I've talked to have taken longer than that to find their first deal. It's not easy right? So it's unfortunately, so many people will look at, they'll look at 20 deals. They'll look at 50 deals. They'll look at a hundred deals. They might spend four months, six months, eight months. And then they just say, you know what, there's nothing here. I'm I'm just going to stop. So if this, if if you decide that this is a path you want to take, you know, you've got to be prepared to, uh, you know, put that time in and and that effort. in, And eventually you're going to find something. Now, you have to be realistic right so I, you know i i bought a property that that you know had a, had a lot of you know warts on it i mean it, it there, there were a lot of people this property had been for sale for for quite a while and nobody mm. wanted it. It, mm. it it didn't cash flow i mean i had to dig in for a, a little bit and figure out well, what are the steps i could take and and you know letting go of the maintenance guy was one of them but i had to figure out a way to make it cash flow and And the biggest way to do that involved a lot of personal sacrifice, Mm. you know, because I had to say, am I willing to get up two hours earlier every day, go in, you know, before the sun comes up and do the maintenance on this property and then go off to my day job and, uh, you know, come back during my lunch hour and then come back. You know, later in the day or weekends, and and spend my days off doing this. And you know, at that point in time, I at that age in that place in my career, I was willing to make that sacrifice and get that done. Um, and so, I would say if someone is committed enough, they can do that. But if if they have unrealistic expectations and they live in a in a really expensive marketplace and they're hoping to find this great cash flowing property that they're going to get in with no money down, that's not realistic, right? Right. might have to look you might have to look outside where you are and you may you know maybe you can't have the luxury of a property manager right out of the gate or maybe you need to actually try to do some things yourself um to get that cash flow early on um not a route that's right for everyone or that everyone should take but, mm-hmm. but you know that that's that's what I decided to do and, and it's worked out well
0: yeah and so on, on this property i mean it's obvious that it was being mismanaged. Was there, were there any other, uh, were the rents too low or what, what were the, what were all the, what was your strategy when you bought this property? I know you got rid of the maintenance guy. Yeah. Um, it was barely cash flow negative. Why did this sit on the market for so long? Um, if, you know, making a change, like getting rid of a guy that's on payroll, that shouldn't be, it seems like an obvious thing to see. Uh, what, what was it that was making this, Unattractive to most people.
1: You know, when you there's not a lot of investors uh, who are willing to go and and buy a property that's cash flow negative. Mm. (laughs) So, in some respects, my you know, uh, I was a bit naive at the time. So, uh, you know, I I I was willing to look past that, and uh, you know, I think the other thing was on the surface. A lot of the problems just looked really bad, so mm. you know the occupancy was so low, but you really actually had to dig a little more and ask questions and and talk to people in the area to figure out what was going on and mm. What was going on was none of the brokers in the area were willing to show the property or even tell prospective tenants about it because the prior owners wouldn't pay their commissions mm. and you know there were a variety of things that had been Grossly mismanaged that had turned people off to the property mm. that to me were fixable issues, right so when I closed, the first thing I did is I met with every broker in that area and said, "Listen, it's under new ownership um you know we will pay your commission, you know we want we want to be here long term, we're local, and it worked i I actually right after we closed, there was a newspaper article that hey this this property was coming under being bought by someone local and that very same day we got our first new tenant who called and said we've always wanted to be in that building but you know the owners are terrible like let's meet let's talk we want to be that we want to be there be a part of what you're trying to do and you know within the first month we we had our first new commercial tenant move in so um you know i guess the answer was you know look beyond the obvious, um, dig a little deeper, do a little research, and uh, you know if it's all already been figured out and it's being advertised and marketed that way and baked into the price, you know that's not going to do you a lot of good, but uh, you know one one of the great things about real estate in my opinion is that there's properties all over the country that are grossly mismanaged, mm. and the 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 more poorly they're taken care of, and the more poorly they're managed, the more excited I get because I look at it and I see potential yeah. Uh, so Absolutely. So,
0: yeah. so, um, obviously a great, ex- I mean, well, from this perspective, you had a great experience with your first deal. Um, tell us about how, how you stair-stepped into your second deal. And I also love, I wanted to say this before we move on, I loved in your book and you just said it here. I love that you reinvested profits and you were still working your teaching job at this point, right? So you got money to pay your bills outside of your real estate profits. And I think a mistake that's easy to make as a real estate investor is once you get a property that's actually cash flowing well, just to quit everything and live off the cash flow off your property, not reinvest. You're kind of killing the goose that's laying the golden eggs at that point because if you don't reinvest, things are breaking down. Eventually, you're gonna have to pay a lot of money to fix those issues. And now you don't have another income. And so what you did to me is is what I see a lot of really smart investors do. They reinvest profits until they get it to a point where they've got a lot of cash flowing assets, very robust cash flow, then they start taking profits at that point. And it's, I see that work outside of real estate as well and and startups and whatnot, where take the profit you're making, reinvest, live simply, live below your means. Once your asset has gotten to a point where it has its own legs and that kind of thing, and it, it can sustain itself, then you can take profits. If you take profits too early, it can kill the whole thing. So um, let's talk about how you stair-stepped into the second deal and then how you got into multifamily.
1: Yeah. So for the second deal, um, it was another, it was in the same community and, um, it was, it was actually someone that I had met before. So that, that was good. Um, the property, it was a, it was a retail property. It was half empty. And, uh, it it was, um, owned by somebody who uh, was a contractor and really didn't want to be managing properties. That wasn't their business. Um, and I had, I had met them and had a, had a good relationship with them. So I approached them and said, Hey, listen, you know, I, I can't get a mortgage right now. Um, I had been trying to refinance the first property. I, I, nobody would lend to me. And, uh, but I said, you know, I could come up with, with some cash and, uh, if they were willing to do owner financing, you know, I'd, I'd like to buy the property. And uh, at that point, again, they, this property had been for sale for a while, um, and they were interested. So I think I think it did help that I had a relationship there. They knew who I was. They knew that I taught at the local college, and uh, you know they they hadn't had any luck selling it. You know, with more to somebody with, with traditional financing, and they didn't have a note on it. So they were willing to willing to do that deal um i was able to fill that property within uh about a year and so you know that basically you know doubled the income actually more than doubled the income because i didn't you know i was able to pass along some of the other expenses you know um to the tenants you know with the, the utilities and um taxes and, and whatnot. whatnot as a commercial property um and uh it was right around that time that uh, after that property stabilized, I finally got somebody to agree. And this was several years in to refinance uh, my first property and pull some cash out. Mm. And that kind of really was the first chance to really, really grow because Mm. I took all the money from the cash out refi And I bought three more properties, Uh and uh, one of those properties was a thirty-unit multifamily, and that that was my first multifamily.
0: Nice. Okay, so property number two was what kind of property? Retail. Retail. Okay. And you said it took you about a year to fill it. Are you were you using like once you took hold of the property, and I don't know if you did any value add to it or not, but once you get to that point, were you using brokers to to fill these spaces, or how were you filling this this retail property?
1: Uh, It was a combination, right? So I, I would, I would market it myself, but um, I enlisted the aid of, of the local brokers and, you know, it was a, was, was a fairly small community. So there wasn't a lot of brokers and I was able to like build relationships with them and build some trust okay, and uh, make sure that I, I took, took care of them when they, when they brought me, brought me a prospect.
0: Good deal. And you got to a point where property number one was stabilized. You found a lender that would do a cash out refi, took that money, then went and bought a 30 unit multifamily property. What, what was attractive about this multifamily deal?
1: Uh, you know, it was, um, it's another, it's another case where, uh, it was, it was terribly mismanaged. So, you know, again, like at this point I was kind of seeing a trend where, Hey, I'm looking for things that I can fix, and uh, the property, you know, there it should have been full or near full, but it had a lot of vacancy. And uh, again, when I dug into it and started asking questions, I realized that um, when they, first of all, they weren't advertising the property, and and when someone did inquire about it, they would send somebody over to leave the unit unlocked and let people look at it by themselves unattended. And that's how they did, that's how they did showings. Um, And if there was a unit that someone moved out that was too damaged or there was a problem with it, they just left it. And uh, so, you know, some of the units uh, were in pretty rough shape. Uh, One in particular uh, had the worst mold I've ever seen in my life. So, I mean, it was, it was like, you know, stalagmites and stalactites. I mean, it was like, I thought I was going into a cave. Um, was, there was so much mold in there that we, you know, I was scared to breathe. I, held, I literally held my breath when I walked through that unit. Um, again, that's a situation like there's so many people, especially smaller investors, when they see something like that, they just get freaked out and they're done. They're like, you know, don't, uh, you know, they would, they say, I'm just not going to deal with that. That's dangerous. It's mold. It's like, Oh my God, it's horrible. But you know, I, I had a local remediation company come in and quote it. And um, you know, they, they came in after closing and they they were all dressed in space suits and, and, you know, <laughs> cleared the whole thing out. They had to tear all the drywall out. You know, I had to redo the entire unit, but it, it still was, I think all in like I ended up with a brand new unit, but with, between the remediation and the build out, it was still less than $30,000 to, to com- completely eliminate that horrifying problem and replace it with what ended up being the nicest unit in the complex. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was again like looking for property that had problems and problems that I felt like I could bring a solution for.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you see the same thing in the residential space. You know, um, you'll you'll see mold or foundation problems with a house, and nobody will touch it. And you're like, you could fix, you know, some of these foundation issues. You can fix them for five thousand dollars, you know, And, and there's a ton of equity laying there in this house that nobody will touch. And you come in and you see it, and you're like, I'll just fix the foundation or I'll fix the mold issue. And you know, there's all this upside to this deal. It works the same way in commercial. Um yeah, and I've seen some of those. Uh I remember appraising a an apartment complex in Little Rock, and there was the mold was so crazy. I took pictures and I I posted it online and somebody asked me if it was like from this from the set of saw or something. I mean, it was terrifying looking. It was disgusting as well. And I was scared to breathe as well. I didn't I didn't really go in there. I just took a picture and left. But um, okay, so when you were doing these renovations and, and doing the mold remediation. Was this something that the bank, like, how did you structure financing on this? Um, Were was the bank covering your repairs as well, or how did you, how did you structure the finance on this thirty-unit deal? And was this the property with the lady that's screaming? You walk in and the dudes (laughs) got his shirt off with tattoos and Uh, like holding. Which property was that?
1: So that property is called the Solar Building. Yeah, yeah. A little later in. Okay. That's a story that's chronicled in my book. Yeah. So. so,
0: so I'm, I'm getting this trend with you that you're buying more and more terrifying properties as you go. Is
1: that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably, it's probably true early on. So, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't, at this, at this point in my investing career, I don't really take those on anymore, yeah. but <laughs> hey, you know for at least a decade, um, I really mastered the art of turnarounds and, uh, you know, that that worked for me. And um, you know, when you can pull that off. And it's not always pleasant, right? You can sure. have a lot of it can, it can be pretty stressful. You can work in, in some of these things, but um, yeah, you can make you you can build a lot of equity in a property if if you're willing to tackle some of those issues that other people don't want to deal with.
0: Sure. So sure. Let's talk about um let's talk about how you what your strategy on this 30 unit was and, and involving yeah. and also including the financing yeah. of the whole thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the financing, um, at that point, like I had begun working with a local lender and uh that would become a great lending partner for me uh for a very long time. In fact, I I still do some business with them. And uh, you know, they, they would have a little more flexibility than say a larger bank or a national lender. And, and that was a lesson learned too, is that you know, you can you can get more creative and and uh you know, I, I did a lot of deals where I would have the bank take a first position and then I would have a seller take a second position Mm. over the years. And that would really minimize the amount of cash that I would need to put in. Mm. And um, that's not what I did on this 30 unit. You know, I hadn't figured out that trick at this point in time, but um, what I did more often was stage the work so that I could do it from cash flow. And, um, you know, that was another advantage of, you know, the fact that at this point I hadn't raised money and I wasn't working with investors is I could make that decision to, to funnel all the cash back in because I didn't have investors who were expecting to get paid out of that cash flow. Right. And, uh, so a lot of this, you know, I did set enough money aside to take care of that mold unit. Um, but most of the unit turns and the, and the improvement that, that got made at that property were done out of the property's cash flow over the next several years
0: after I closed. Very nice. Um I was trying to think. So were you were you financing these on were you were you putting these on 25 year? Oh, I know I know the question I want to hit before that. You said you were doing these with the first from the bank and a second from the owner. Uh, when you use that strategy, is that something that you have to inform the bank about? I'm assuming at the time of closing the first that you're going to be using the second for another portion of the equity or how do you, how do you go about doing that?
1: Yeah. I mean, normally the seller would want the, um, some collateral. And so, you know, they, they, they're going to be, they're going to record uh, a mortgage on that. So you do have to disclose that to your lender. And, um, not all lenders will allow a second position, like, especially if you're doing a really big deal. And, you know, if you're borrowing from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, or you're, you have a large national lender, they're not going to let you do that. But, uh, the smaller local lenders, they call them portfolio lenders. They, they will often, you know, they can set their own policies in that respect. And they will often allow you to, um, have a, a second position on there. and so. I did a lot of deals over the years where I used that strategy, and uh, you know I would have the seller carry back anywhere from, you know, five to twenty percent um, of the of the purchase price, and then borrow say seventy five percent from the bank. And what the bank would do is they would want to make sure that their minimum debt service coverage was met when you combine both loans. So you know if they had a minimum of say one point two debt service coverage ratio for their loan, they would want to make sure if you've got a second position, the cash flow would cover both loans.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Um, very cool. So now is your, is this same lender? Are you still working with the same lender today?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, um, I reached my lending limit with them. So what I'll do is if, if, uh, something gets paid off, then, you know, I'll go back to them and, and, uh, give them my business, but yeah, they they've been a great partner.
0: Do you think, is this, is this same strategy still available today? You think for, uh, with local lenders and using these, you know, a second from the seller, um, do Absolutely. you think that's it, Cause it, and, and then another, I guess, follow-up question would be, do you think this has gotten harder to pull off with it being such a seller's market right now, especially in multifamily?
1: I think it depends on the, the, the property and the location to some extent. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely still done. In fact, um, you know, I over the last couple of years, I've sold off quite a few of my smaller properties and uh, properties that maybe aren't performing as well, kind of streamline my portfolio. I'm, I'm trying to focus on much larger properties now. And I've extended second positions um, for I think three or four of my properties just over the last maybe 18 months as a seller so i've i've watched the buyers do that um mm. and i i know that people are still doing that um you know and it's just a matter of finding a seller who's willing um you know you, you're not going to pull off that strategy when you're in a we're in a highly competitive bid situation with a with a large property in a hot market, you know, because the seller doesn't need to do that. And sure. in some cases they may want to, because they might be able to defer some taxes if they're not going to do a 1031 exchange. Um, so you never know from the seller standpoint, there, there can be some motivation and that can help them to, uh, to lend to you. But in most cases, you don't see that. Um, although, you know, it, I've looked at that in the last year i've looked at deals as large as 10 million dollars where the seller has been willing to seller finance so you just never know
0: wow so you mentioned you know in a, in a hot market with a large property there's a bidding war on it's going to be hard to pull off so when you were leveraging this this strategy was the markets and properties that you were going after were these listed with brokers were these off market deals or how I've you- done
1: that. I've done those deals on both.
0: Okay. Yeah. And what what would you say your like the average property you take down is it is the average deal you get off market or or listed?
1: Uh, you know, I would say that um, probably like earlier on in my investing, maybe uh, two thirds of them were off market. Okay. And uh, I would say that today um, two thirds of them are listed. Okay. So kind of reverse. And and a lot of that has to do with the, I'm buying much larger properties these days. And so it's a little bit harder to find an off market property, you know, when you're doing bigger deals.
0: Sure. So let's, let's transition forward, um, to where you are today. I know you're investing in mobile home park communities and doing some, some apartment investing and Sure. There's more, um, kind of tell us what you're doing today and what you're involved in today.
1: Sure. So, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, I, I live in, I live in Georgia now recently relocated. Um, I'm involved in, in a, in a, in a couple of different partnerships, but the, the one that I'm most focused on is open door capital, mm-hmm. um, which was founded by Brandon Turner from bigger pockets. And, uh, you know, we're, we we have investment funds that we have we're on our third fund right now where we we raise money from accredited investors and then we deploy those funds into mobile home park communities so um you know we've been we've been purchasing mobile home park communities all across the country uh, we're focused mostly on the midwest and the southeast but um you know, we're, we're about to close a deal in Alaska. So we're, <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we're reaching far and wide trying to find, you know, the, the greatest opportunities in, uh, in these mobile home park communities, uh, you know, for our investors and, and that's, that's just been a whole lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I've reached a stage in my investing that if I, if I wanted to, I could just kind of fold up and, and walk away and, and, and be, be, you know, financially secure for the rest of my life, but um, I'm having too much fun. And, you know, this is a fun group of people that I'm working with at Open Door Capital. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm also occasionally getting involved in some other partnerships. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've sold off a, a, a good number of properties in, in New York, but I still have um, probably about, about 500 units in that market. And, um, I'm actually closing on a, on a hundred unit property there, um, next week. So,
0: oh, wow. That's great. That, that's uh, a, an apartment complex or.
1: Yes. Yep. Deal. And that's, uh, it's up in upstate New York where my headquarters is. And I still have a team, a, a great team of people up there who are running my operations up there.
0: Good deal. Yep. Good deal. And as far as your mobile home park, um, business with Brandon, how many pads do you guys currently own?
1: Uh, the last deal we closed, we, we went over a thousand. Um, I don't know the exact count, but you know, somewhere probably around 1100 pads and, um, we're going to be closing on a, on another, uh, like I mentioned, a a park in Alaska, uh, probably in about two weeks. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're buying, uh, everything we're buying is, is over a hundred pads, um, public utilities. And we're really, we're trying to find parks that are um, either institutional grade parks, or that we can, you know, by bringing some good management to them, that we can turn into institutional grade parks. Uh, try to position the portfolio for for an eventual exit, where we can we can really get a get a great premium for our investors.
0: That's what I was going to ask you next: is what your exit strategy was. So you're you're planning on compiling this nice portfolio and then packaging it up and selling it off to someone later on. So that makes a lot of sense. Have you had, um, we're recording this December 17th, 2020. Have you had a lot of issues with the eviction moratorium and, uh, and non-paying tenants? You know, it's
1: really, it's really varied. Um, but I would say overall we've had, it's affected us less than we feared that it Hmm. would. Um, I would say on average, it probably, you know, and this is across apartments and uh, mobile home parks, you know, I'm really into workforce housing. So, you know, C-class apartments, mobile home parks, it's very resilient, um, you know, uh, workforce housing, I think is very resilient. I think COVID disproportionately affected the blue collar workforce in a way that most uh, economic downturns would not. but i think on average we are we've had maybe uh anywhere from a 3 to a 5% drop in collections um as a result of 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 covid and oddly enough most of the people who were of, of, in our experience with our tenant base most of the people who were affected by covid um have worked with us and um made payment plans and and gotten assistance and and that's all good but you know the frustrating thing is most of those three to five percent collection drop; those are people who were never affected by COVID, but saw an opportunity
0: yeah.
1: with laws that got passed and just said, "Hey, look, we're just going to stop paying rent because, yep. you know, legally we can do that right now because the laws don't require them to demonstrate that they were affected in any way by COVID." Right. And so um, that's been really frustrating just to see that you know what's what's been going on there and that that there's you know there's this, this segment of the population out there that's saying hey even though i'm still gainfully employed and you know my income hasn't changed and but you know there's these laws that were passed that were meant to help people that are in need um and 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 we're going to take advantage of that yeah and uh that's unfortunate and i i wish that you know you know that that had been thought through a little more um you know, it's and it's also tough. Just you know, the way the laws are all structured, it, pl- it places the burden on on the property owner. And totally. And uh, you know, it it it's one thing for the government to help people pay rent, uh, but for them to pass laws that say that basically, you know, you don't have to pay the owner of a property. That places the burden on the property owner, um, in in a, in an attempt to say, okay, we're going to make property owners support people who are affected by COVID. Um it's it's kind of like a passing a you know a, a large tax on the property owners and sure, you know.
0: I totally I look agree.
1: At, look at it and I say, hey, you know, yeah, people need a place to live if they're hurt by COVID, but you know what, they also need food. They also need medicine. You know, are we gonna say that grocery stores aren't gonna charge them for their food? Are yeah. we gonna say that, you know, the drugstores can't charge them for their medications? you know, they should be able to get medical treatment without paying for it. You know, none of none of that stuff got talked about, but they said, right. well, we're going to let them, we're going to let them live for free in terms of their rent. Uh, and, and we're going to, we're going to have that cost be borne by the landlords. Right. Um, so somebody in my situation, like I can weather that and I can be okay. But unfortunately I've met so many smaller landlords, um, who don't have very many units and, uh, they're really hurting because, you know, that's, maybe that's their, their retirement investment. And, uh, you know, they're having trouble making ends meet because they've got a tenant who's taken advantage of this situation.
0: Sure. And I, I think that's where the majority of the frustration for property owners comes in. Um, in our portfolio, we've had a couple people that were affected by COVID that lost their job or their, uh, one lady, her, her hair salon was shut down back in March, April. And she just asked us if she could have some extra time to pay. We worked with her. We didn't try to kick her out. We didn't push her to leave nothing. We just said, Hey, we'll work with you. She got current after they opened her business back up. And we had another lady that was affected who worked with her. Most landlords I know, and you see these articles about these predatory landlords and whatnot. I'm not talking about that. Most of these landlords that I know, like, like you guys and like in our situation, we're trying to work with the people that have COVID and have had effects of COVID and or trying to work through that. That's not the frustrating part to me. Frustrating part is the people who are taking advantage that don't have issues with COVID, they're still employed, they just see an opportunity not to pay rent, because it does place that burden on the, the property owners. And to me, unfairly, it places the burden on the property owners. And I wish it had been better thought through as well. It's going to be interesting to see how they try to um, handle the situation of putting off all these evictions and I'm I'm guessing they're going to extend it, but they haven't really done that yet. So to me, they kind of bottled up the problem and now it's going to all come out at the same time. So we'll see what happens though. But, um, uh, we're approaching, uh, wrapping this up. So, um, I guess, uh, tell us how, how can people connect with you and, um, how can people invest with you guys at open door capital?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know I, I you can find me on on instagram my my instagram handle is at crushing and uh, you can find me on Facebook follow me on Facebook LinkedIn like any of those social media platforms uh, if you're interested in investing with open door capital you can go to odcfund.com. it's odcfund.com. dot com and uh, you can read a little more about what we're doing and and uh, you know if you want to be a limited partner with us that's that's a uh, first step is to go there and and, uh, you know, let us know you have an interest.
0: Very cool. And tell, are you able to talk about your book that's coming out soon?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. I've been working, uh, Brandon Turner and I are working on, it's actually a two-volume book set that's coming out next year through Bigger Pockets. It's called The Multifamily Millionaire. And, uh, you know, the first volume is going to be for smaller multifamily. And the second volume is for large multifamily. And uh, these are gonna be some great resources for people. And um, we're looking at, probably won't be out until summer 2021. So it's gonna be a little bit, but I think if you're looking for a a real comprehensive resource for multifamily, which frankly, I don't think exists right now in terms of really going in depth on uh, specifically multifamily. In fact, there's so much material, we couldn't fit it in one. We weren't originally planning to do two volumes, but there's a lot, there's a lot there. So pretty excited to go through that project and, and, uh, really looking forward to getting that out into the world. I think it's going to help a lot
0: of people. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to reading that as well. Like I can't wait for that to come out. So, well, we could, we could spend another hour talking about a lot more, but, uh, you know, in respect of your time, I want to, I want to wrap up and, uh, I do really appreciate you coming on the podcast and, um, hopefully we can have you back at some point, uh, when you guys, have exited your mobile home park portfolio.
1: Absolutely. And you can invest
0: that in one of my multifamily deals. Sounds good. All right, man, thanks a lot. We'll catch you later on. Yep, take care. Thanks for tuning in to Multifamily Mavericks. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share it with your friends. It helps us grow, which helps us find great guests, which in turn helps you grow. And don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn or on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks, at Daily Real Estate Investor, at Part Time Empire. Join us next time to keep learning the multifamily game and scale up to financial freedom.